Hello, Scotty. I can hear ringing in my ears. That's a sign of tinnitus. Have you spent too much time in front of loud music? Are you the, the Pete Townsend of this podcast? Um, well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I think my, my hearing is definitely impaired from too much loud music as a younger person. Well, and as an older hmm. person. I love I love music loud. I'm one of these people that feels that music is to be felt as much as it is to be heard. And so if you if your body isn't vibrating with bass or the drums or with the the, the you know the beat of the bass drum, then you're not playing it properly. Well, that explains many things, does it not? Sorry, I can't hear you. <laughs> I was saying what a delightful host I've got. Oh, I see. That's what I thought you said. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, sir, how are you this week? Because the point I'm is, Jim. not be not being able to hear you is sometimes an advantage. I say. Oh my God! What? People definitely people definitely think that about me anyway. <laughs> Just that they wish, but after people have known me for a while, they definitely think that they, they that uh, some sort of hearing impairment may have been better for them. Very mean. Okay, well, there's there's strife in the in the family household here as the surly teen has been summoned to do something. <laughs> and, why did you ask me? You should have known better. Yeah. Oh my God. Don't ever have children if they and if you make that mistake, make sure you dispatch them to to military training school before they they become adolescent. Um, what was I going to say? So I I was very happy this week because a personal you know well let's back up a second. I'm pleasantly surprised by both the number of fractional listeners and that subset of those that are willing to admit so in public. But I had a really lovely. Uh, screen movie that was sent to me by a listener um, who pointed, who said, hey, I was listening to how you were talking about maintaining selection state when, when voiceover is running, and this is what I'm seeing. And, and indeed, he pointed out a regression because I had worked on something that would to, to fix something that was an A-B test, um, and in the ensuing time, it works for the A-B test, but then there was a regression in the control cell. And so I was very happy to to have that uh, sent to me. So thank you so much. See, you get all the nice nice letters from um, people. I mean, since the days of the Trabant, of course, uh, oh, where, 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 where you did take a bit of a knocking when you were yeah. compared to a Trabant. But since then, you, you've got most of the nice letters where people just seem to send me the nasty stuff. Yeah, well, oh, really? you know, telling me how crap I am as a developer and things like this. <laughs> crap at a developer and even worse as a human being. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. Oh, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I've been working on today uh, uh, a command line, a little command line tool that I need. And I'm, uh, you, you may be able to help me here. I'm now dealing with the fact that, you know, you cannot embed resources into a command line tool because the command line tool is not a bundle. You know, a dot app. That's true. File is a bundle, and therefore we get used to all our resources being copied in. But what happens when you want to basically bundle some JSON or something? You know, as a as a configuration file with your um with your command line tool. So uh, yeah, well, there is no way of doing it. Is is the simple answer of actually bundling in? But there are ways of. Uh, you basically need to make sure you somehow convert your your. Uh, what you need in some form of code so that it it can be then used or read from as a large string inside the file or something. But equally, if you want it to be maintainable outside of it, so a build script to take your JSON, convert it into some sort of header file of which contains the raw data, which you can then just decode 
in the app uh, when you when you start to, to use. So it's all a bit of a faff, really. But um, there we are. It sort of works and it sort of does does what it needs to do. So there we are. It's um, and I've never done that before. So there we are today. In my old age, I have done something new. That is very good. That that is indeed a problem. I was I remember uh, how amazed I was at the at the thought that you could even build a command line tool using, you know, AppKit or Foundation or anything. I always thought that that by convention or requirement that command line tools could only be written with like absolutely bare bones C, and all the code had to be contained within it so that you could you know you it would either be a very very painful experience or a very very simple app, but then I started building command line tools that reused the the same code that I was building in my web objects app and used it to to build a bulk ingester to be able to to process you know large large numbers of of digital files you know media assets and their related metadata and um you know, the only thing I could come up with is to be able to, to, to make it look for convention so that you could basically say, you know, if if you find a file that's running in the same location, the same folder as the files you're ingesting, or if you find a configuration file with this name pattern in the same place as where you're being executed, you could do that. Um, and I think that's probably the... the, the the only real way you can do it. I mean, I think you, you, you know, it's not really a command line tool if it doesn't get launched from the command line and launched from anywhere. Um, so otherwise you, it's you, then why build it as a command line tool? Why not just make it a bundle, you know, make it an actual application. So you just launch it. And then of course, <laughs> you know, it, it runs from, it, it, it will, it will have all the stuff that it needs. Even if it has no menu item or anything like that, you could put whatever that's in there and make it something that's very easy to double click and can be moved around. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, the right, the right, the proper way to do this is a command line tool. Is to make, uh, you know, make the the command line take a parameter that points you to the configuration file. But that is a bit of a faff. And, what is a faff? You, know, you see, this is this this. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's something that is a lot of effort and work, and I really can't be bothered. Basically. Oh. <laughs> A faff, do you not know that term? That's a Britishism, son. Obviously a British, there we are. We are educating our worldwide partial audience in Britishisms. <laughs> um, so, okay, so this, this application, it's a, it's a GUI application. Um, it's a, a new version of an older application. Uh, and it's, you know, updated UI and it's better to do stuff. Um, but there is um, another application that produces similar files, but they're not the same. And, Basically, we want to throw, you know, thousands of these old files to into, um, you know, convert them to the format for the new application. Now, you could make it part of the um, part of the application with a menu that says, you know, file import or whatever else and, and do it that way. But these are these are not like they're not like version one files of this same thing. They are from a different application. This is not something that the general users want to do. This is a specific use case just at this this moment in time. And so the easiest way was just to like add a uh was to say just we're gonna add a and, and, and these um files have been produced by another script from somewhere else. And so I just thought, well I'm gonna add a command line tool to the um to the project. And because my code is nicely segmented I can use almost all of the classes and um, control structures from my GUI app because my business logic contains no UI code um, to do it. And I, and I just need to write the the sort of stuff that hacks the old file into a format that I can then chuck at the new stuff. 
So it's very little new code. Uh, we can create this executable that can uh, you know, not take too long to develop, can be thrown away when it's finished with. It's not going to leave, um, although there is new code, that new code is not going to get built into the, the GUI app and just be like this redundant, useless code for the rest of time. Uh, but the trouble is the uh, the GUI app does use a whole bunch of JSON files internally for some configuration and some settings and a whole bunch of other stuff that uh, the the command line tool does need to pick up as part of this conversion process. So really these are not files that you're normally going to, the user is not going to know where they are because they're normally embedded in the bundle of the main application. So that's going to be a pretty terrible experience to um, run the command line tool and then have to uh, point um, to files that are inside your package <laughs> that is your .app, you know, uh, because you know, that, that's just a really bad experience. So I'm just trying to, you know, the reason I'm looking at this scripting and taking the files that are in the package and then you know, turning them into strings inside the um, code, it means if we change the JSON files inside of the main application, next time we build the um, command line tool, it will pick up all of those settings as well um, and do whatever else. So that, that's why we're heading down this path. That's heading down that path. Ha, ha, ha. It is a tricky thing. Um, and I don't envy you because I, I remember the various times I've been sat white knuckled after having released a new version of software that required the, the update of some data files <laughs> without which the, the application itself couldn't run. <laughs> so it's like, it's nothing like that feeling of repairing the, the, the wing and engine of a plane while it's in mid flight. Um, oh yeah. That moment when you release a new version of an app that's got to convert its data, that's, that's a scary moment it doesn't matter how many times you've run it in some sort of test environment or on your own sample files the moment real users get it that's uh, that's a that's a squeaky bum time indeed would you like to hear some other kind of random thing uh it, it, it truly random it's not truly random it's always related in some way but not but that's good because because the yeah we, we have learned you know recently that the brain cannot cope with true randomness i did that and therefore most of the things no we cannot you see, when you, I went to a, a session on this at a conference once, and I was watching a TV program on it the other day. Um, you know, let's say you're flipping a coin. Let's keep it something really simple, uh, and you've just got heads or tails uh, on there. You know, in a truly random scenario, it is perfectly possible that you could get the same result a thousand times. You know, unlikely but truly possible. Um, uh, this is a no, very oversimplified thing, but if we had some sort of random generator that just produced heads, you know, 1,000 times, and we would think it was broken, and the brain really struggles with it, and we we look for patterns. There was, was it Spotify? I think Spotify had to make its playlist randomizer less random because people couldn't cope with the fact that songs played more than once more often than they thought they should because that's what happens when it's a truly random selection from the list, and they thought it wasn't working, so they had to sort of like break the randomness by making it less random because we just can't cope with true randomness so i'm good, glad that we're not truly random because that means we're not going to confuse our listeners any more than we've already done you've just now and with that with that tangent go oh, ahead fuck, scotty i don't know where you've taken us i mean it's interesting but i feel like i'm like hanging on a cliff like can i please crawl my way back up? <laughs> you just wanted to tell your story you had no interest in the rest and there we are it's like it's like it's like when you've built up to the highlight and then some some person comes along and just ruins your moment but anyway like I, hopefully i've not ruined it too much let, let, let's do this let's build you up john let, let's pretend that bit never happened john 
Have you got anything slightly random to tell us? <laughs> it's not, I'm talking to you anymore, Scott. Here, no, it, it's just um, it, uh, you know uh, our application is, is written in, in Objective C and Swift, and our back end is is now written in JavaScript uh, using Node. And one of the banes of of, our, of of my existence for at least a couple of minutes yesterday was trying to figure out why I you know h- how to pass a definitive boolean value of false from objective c all the way to the javascript world um, because typically you know you can express a boolean value as an object using an ns number and asking for its bool value or a string and asking for its bool value but you really can't serialize a scalar value you always have to turn it to an object of, of some sort and there are conventions that people follow and and it's 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 easy enough to do and then you oftentimes you can basically kind of flip things on the head on their head and just basically saying check for the presence of something either the existence of an object so it's not null or not nil um, or, you know, if it's a string, you ask for if its length is any, if you just ask for its length, that's going to evaluate if it's greater than zero to being, you know, true. But in the world of JavaScript, which I, I kind of I dip into as needed when I'm working on that, I have to do a mind, uh, mind shift. You know, they, 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 you can pass arguments to something and it's very clear because you can mix and match, you know, strings, arrays, dictionaries, things that in Objective-C have to be objects with scalar values like integers and, and, and bool um, and whatnot. And so <laughs> my, my code was failing and I just intuitively thought it would be no problem. I'll just, you know, on the Objective-C side do, you know, ampersand, open, open you know, parentheses, uh, no, <laughs> and, and then close parentheses. In other words, turn this into it, what it would do is basically take a bool value and turn it into a, an object. In this case, an NS number with value of bool no, um, and that would then you know that somehow magically it would be deserialized the right way all the way on the other side of the JavaScript world. And of course, it didn't work because it just basically always evaluated it as true because it was the presence of a, of an object. Um, and if you were to interpret it, yeah, so it just, they basically said, yeah, it's true. So then I'm having to ask friends and it's like, well, mm-mm, or then ask the internet. And then I came across, you know, the, the Boolean function in, in JavaScript. And it says, this is how you interpret truthy or falsy values. And so then it, the conditions in which you can pass something, it will definitively know it's Boolean false is an actual false or a, an integer of zero or null or uh, <laughs> an empty string then this i mean I, that that that's what they chose and so you know whatever convention is convention it makes perfect sense and where the convention is used but uh, that kind of struck me as a little bit weird but then i had to rewrite you know or adapt the 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 client side of that and it all magically started working so i don't know why that's of interest to anyone other than that was a thing i learned yesterday that just because you wanted to say something is definitively true or false it's actually something that uh, doesn't just work across languages and conventions. Who knew? Did you know? True or false? Well, it's um, uh, optional nil. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, but it's, the thing is, it's these things. You know, we have this glorious view of software development that, you know, I have today, I'm going to be hacking around in trying to, 
you know, make this beautiful UI with this swirling, um, you know, kaleidoscope yeah. effect of transitions and whatever else. And, 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 you know, that's the way we dream of software development. And actually, we spend all our time trying to work out how to make things talk to each other and not blow up. Indeed. Well, speaking of talking uh, to each other and not having things blown up, are you familiar with what seems to be a slight weird controversy about the upcoming WWDC? And, and was there an Easter egg that described AR goggles, AR glasses of some sort? I am not, John. But I, I do want to mention that how how great it was that we preempted last week and did our pre-WWDC what we wanted to see the week before it came out. It makes us look like geniuses, doesn't Indeed. it? Indeed. Well, definitely the stopped clock. Bloody lucky is the way it should no, be. The but anyway, what is this? What the, is... <laughs> the, the stupid genius is, is genius at least once a, a lifetime. Yes. So uh, what is this controversy that I've somehow managed to miss in the 24 hours since WWDC was announced? Well, so everybody, you know, like like good Kremlinologist, WWDC, or Appleologists or people who follow Apple carefully looking for clues in the imagery of their press releases um, always try to interpret what is going to be the big announcement. So much was made of the fact that that the the Memoji that was at the center of the of the WWDC online uh, 2021 announcement um, had glasses, which is fine. You know, lots of people wear glasses and there were reflections. And yes, that's a fact of life that there are glasses that that will reflect, uh, depending on how they're coded, what they might see in front of them on the screen. But then some people went there. It's like, but look, there were reflections on the on the the surface of the eye on the iris. So that must clearly mean that Apple is is hinting that there's going to be, you know, some type of VR glasses, um, you know, uh, or AR glasses, really, I guess. Um, And uh, Jonathan Gruber and Daring Fireball had posted about that and 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 reasoned about it, but then somehow I I read this morning, um, my friend said that, but now it's been disappeared from from Daring Fireball. Now then the question came in as like, well, why did it disappear? That hardly ever happens. There are revisions if there's an error or some so something, but he's never seen you know something actually disappearing from Daring Fireball. Now I, I can't walk and chew gum and dare not try and look on Daring Fireball to see if it was you know, temporarily taken down or put back up, but it, it did strike me as something kind of interesting um, that that what happens when somebody makes a guess and it really is right and Apple doesn't want it to be right. Mm. The plot I thing. basically think these people these people have too much time on their hands. I, well, that's probably uh, true too. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I quite like the Apple, Apple rumor mill. Um, but I wouldn't say, yeah, but I think sometimes it goes a little bit silly. And now it may be that, you know, you know, if Apple truly didn't, you know, if Apple truly wants secrets, would they make something that obvious in their dub dub announcement? I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like it's got just a bunch of people on it or something else. And someone will come up with this really weird scenario that oh they must be going to release this because four of the six people are wearing jeans so therefore they're releasing apple jeans or whatever i don't know <laughs> um but it's it's you know would they do some would apple do something so obvious i mean it is having someone wear glasses with reflections in it and you know reflections in the, which i did notice when i saw the thing it, it's not really keeping your secret very well, is it? So either either they've been a bit silly um, if they wanted it to stay a secret or people are reading into something that's not there. Or they're just, you know, 
Yeah. Or just, or they were just somebody who's trolling. I think that's the other thing too. It's like, we know if we do this, let's see if this causes, you know, causes people to believe that. Cause I'm sure at some point they must have to imagine that. I think a slightly more interesting to me, I'm not saying to everybody else, fact about it is there was no mention of dub dub being online because of covid restrictions and that's it just said here we are dub dub dc it didn't even mention that you know this year we're not going to gather because we still can't or anything like that it was now like this is dub dub dc it's online and it's that suggestion is this the way it's going to be forever now because you know last year they liked it they realized it cost them a shitload less money um their engineers are still in the office all week or not in the office, at home all week, but still working um, uh, on stuff. And, and so is this a nod to that it's now going to be the norm and the days of uh, gathering for Dub Dub are over? It's been gone. If you were not there in 2019, you will never go again type of thing. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about that. Um, I don't know that, you know, this is a much discussed topic here in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, but a lot of it having to do with the effects on cities. If there are no buildings for people to commute to anymore, and how does that change the geography of cities, the, the economic development, the tax base, everything like that? You know, a lot of there was an article in The Times about how, uh, you know, some companies are starting to come back because Uber, for example, had, had acquired land in an office that was originally built for Salesforce. Um, and that they were now offering people to come in, I think, up to 20% occupancy for now. And, and Instagram and Facebook, who have, you know, uh, many, many floors in a, in a shiny tower downtown San Francisco, they're making things available open. But they so for 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 every person who's saying, I'm so happy to never commute ever again to go into the office. I like working in soft pants at home with my dog. Um for everybody who says that, there are plenty of people, myself included, it's like, I cannot wait to stop living at work. I can't stand this anymore. I will happily go to the office and never complain about anything again until, you know, the new situation lasts for about three days. It's like, ah, bring on the pandemic again. I, I mean, I, I have to imagine it will end up being a hybrid. I think the advantages that it gives for people in terms of, of being able to meaningfully participate from wherever you are in the world and making sure that things are, are exceptionally well produced and 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 durable in a way that they they may not be where they may think well you get the gist of it from being there or if it's not particularly clear then you just send people off to labs and there they can figure out and that's why we're here so on and so forth i think that there were many things to 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 recommend this approach in terms of its effectiveness of, of training people but i i think that you cannot ignore the the value of of in-person community development i just think it's it's why else would we would be talking with fond fondness of 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 encounters with people and how it changed your point of view and how it really helped you so i i mean from from a attendee point of view going to a conference i totally agree i mean i have been to several online conferences over the last sort of 12 months since we're doing this and for me it just has not worked um it, it doesn't it's you no know, it just doesn't work for me um however um i will say that the quality of the sessions at dub dub last year was the highest they've ever been and the fact that you if you had a subject that only took 12 minutes to explain there was a 12 minute session if you had a subject that 90 minutes to explain there was a 90 minute session and you didn't have this whole having to sit through an hour of something that really should have taken 30 minutes but they have to pad it out to make all the sessions fit. So I think from an informational exchange point of view, DubDub was far better online. And so Apple have to ask themselves, the, you know, Apple's question is, you know, 
Is it our job as Apple to foster a community this way, or is it our job just to make sure developers have the information that they need to do their jobs? Um, yeah, or, or both. I mean, you know, obviously the elements of both. And you know, I, I think when you know, if when they look back at the reason Dub Dub was set up initially was for the track, like almost all conferences were historically, it was about a a compact and concise transfer of information to developers and now that's can be done in better ways the the i learned more at last year's dub dub than any of the dub dubs i've actually been to um because when dub dub was when i didn't the years i haven't been to dub dub uh but um but there has been attendees okay i've not really followed the sessions that much as they're going on you pick a whole list of them that you want to do um a whole list of them that you want to go to and then the reality is you'll get to some of them during the year and you won't get to other ones and because you you sort of are you and i sort of like tend to come off twitter and the rest of it because i don't want to be in this i'm missing out thing because i really love going i love going to dub dub and i'm not there but last year, because there was none of this, where well, everyone else was having a better time than me, <laughs> feeling, you know, I, I engaged during the week. And that meant I had some quite good online conversations with people. Um, I would, you know, each day when the videos come out, you could say, oh, look, this is out today and talk about it. So it, the community side, no, is nothing like being there and having a beer and discussing it and whatever else. But I think the learning experience, and in some ways even more as a shared learning experience, um, I actually felt was better in a, in a way, and so it's like um, if if we can transfer information, uh, you know, maybe we have to sort of start uh, thinking very differently because we we've said the only way we can have community events is to have conferences that transfer information, and that's just like I always used to say the sessions at Ennis Conference were like coincidental they were the excuse you got a budget from your boss to go, but it wasn't the best reason for being there. It was catching up with other developers. Maybe we have to sort of like break out of these um trying to use information transfer in a formal manner through sessions as an excuse for conferences and just begin to reinvent the conference that it is purely a um casual information exchange that doesn't even maybe even have sessions but has other things maybe have have team exercises whatever else to to generate the same sort of camaraderie and the sharing of information and and stop trying to shoehorn both requirements into the same box and and just accept that we now need to think differently and transition now the hardest part of that is conferences prim- primarily rely on larger companies sending their employees um to it because conferences are quite expensive because conference centers are expensive flying speakers in is expensive all the rest all those other things um in there so if you then say, well, actually, they're not going to gain any information, they're just going to get informal learning. That, on the basis of how slow, particularly large companies are, to be progressive in their thinking, that might mean that conferences become not financially viable, and therefore this, this transition, maybe the conference just ends up dying because this transition can't happen, because you know the people who are the backbone of the finance of conferences are not brave enough to go with the change. Even though they're, I think, sending your employees to a purely, um, not I'm not going to say purely social, but an informal event of other employees that do the same job 
you're still getting massive value for money. In fact, you're probably getting more value for money because if you just want to learn things, they can read blog posts. Well, Scotty, this is like one of those those occasions where I have to to speak highly of you um, because here you are talking from a position of of, uh, of painfully gained knowledge on the subject as someone who's put on what would you know what remains one of our favorite conferences in the in the entire industry and and i'm not that's not just me blowing smoke up your faff hole um but just be genuinely appreciated you know i think anybody who's so been, are you one of these people that you you learn a new word in a day and you have to use it at least three times and you thought the best way of using the word faff was to say faff hole. yes in the, in the most aggressively vulgar manner possible but you know I, finding a use for my faff hole there we are there's the title there we go but you bring up a really interesting point, you know, not to not to sound too much like a bong hit philosopher here, but I think that it is going to be a weird transition because you think about it, you know, let's imagine that there is an AR VR world where people can have telepresence, you know, anytime, any place, and, and that's just generally accepted. It's like, what do you mean you had to physically be there and travel on an airplane that that belched carbon into the, in the environment and brought down the planet? How stupid. But then you imagine it's like, well, then how would you gather people physically, you know? And and if you were to do so, would you do something what they they do now with with like comedy, you know, performances where they say, in order to get the comedy you want, the phones, the cell phones need to go in a bag. I need to be able to know that I'm not being recorded because I want to try something new and I just can't risk it. So if you want to have this in person experience, the technology's got to go. Um, and it, it is going to be a very, very weird transition over the next years. You know, whenever whenever Apple's AR and VR headsets fall, you know, ship, and they will at some point, you know, uh, it, it really is going to have a profound change. And I think 10, 15, 20 years from now, people will look back. It's like, I can't believe that, you know, you didn't think that this was much better. Or I can't believe you let this happen. Or <laughs> I guess we'll see. Indeed, we will. Stony silence Indeed, there. we will. It was. It had gone silent. I thought actually the line had dropped, but uh, actually it was just what we're going to call a quiet moment of reflection. Okay, there we go. Well, <laughs> that can't be the title of this or <laughs> or any other episode because there's nothing quiet or reflective about the nonsense we sputter on about. And well, maybe on that note, there isn't. But John, John, there there is there is a well known place for quiet moments of reflection where I believe you can be contacted. So how should people do that? Well, if people want to, to, to send me a Zen cone, they can do that on uh, on Twitter, which is where all quiet reflection takes place in our modern world. So you can find me as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And Scotty, if people want to send you a digital chamomile tea, how might they do that? <laughs> Again, they can do it calmly and quietly and reflectively on Twitter. Where only nice things need to be said. Where I am, MacDevnet. MacDevnet! Scream at the top of your lungs to MacDevnet! Alright. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm about to head into uh, five days of uh, vacation and, well, home homecation but not working, so that this is a good way to sort of almost bring that to an end i have two more meetings after this one but other than that it's almost you're almost my last working moment of this week so anyway you've gone quiet you have no care for that either you are just reflecting more than i've ever known you reflect before today so with that we will leave our listeners to reflect and say thank you for listening and until next time you take care yeah